My family and I have had the privilege of serving cross-culturally and living internationally for almost 12 years of our life. In those 12 years, God has given us the privilege, really the honor, of being able to see some amazing, incredible things in the world that we live in, to just to see some of the wonders of the world, to visit some countries that otherwise we would probably have never had the privilege to visit. I have had the honor, the pleasure, of standing on snow-covered mountains at the equator in Quito, Ecuador. Did you know that that existed? It's a beautiful sight as you look out across some 10, 12, 13,000 feet elevation covered in snow on the very equator of the earth. When Robin and I lived in Tola in the western highlands of Guatemala, at the back corner of our fence was the old sacrificial altar for the Mayan temple. They had been offering sacrifices at that altar, that sacrificial stone, for over 500 years. A couple of years ago, my family and I had the privilege of taking vacation. The board sent us to Egypt to do some training, so we decided we would take vacation there. We got to see the great, uh, great pyramids in Cairo, Egypt. We got to visit Luxor, where the Valley of the Kings are. Once-in-a-lifetime experience, I can tell you that. What I remember most about that trip outside of seeing the beautiful sights was Levi. He was about nine years old at the time. And when we went to Luxor, we were visiting a temple there that was probably about 5,000 years old. And he looked at me and he said, Daddy, do we have to visit another temple? I was like, son, I mean, this is, fine. This is the Old Testament. Don't you see that there? Then we had the privilege of living in Zambia for a number of years and Zambia is home of one of the natural wonders of the world. It's called Victoria Falls. The people of Zambia refer to it as Mosiotunya, water that thunders. It's the largest waterfall in the world. It's not the highest and not the widest. By sheer volume of water that goes over the edge, a continual waterfall, largest in the world, a mile wide, 400 feet high, a sheet of water. If you've ever stood at the base of it, at the boiling pot, they refer to it as, you would understand fully why they refer to it as water that thunders. You can hear it long before you ever arrive there. But can I tell you something this morning? As amazing as all of those experiences are, they are nothing compared to the wonder of salvation. And if you've experienced salvation in your life, you know exactly what I'm referring to today. If you've experienced God's grace up close and personal, you understand just how Amazing that truly is. Well, that is what Jesus Christ is going to talk about in our text this morning. If you have your Bibles, I would ask that you open them to John chapter 6. We have been in this passage for some time now. 
This is one of the great chapters of the Bible. And Jesus makes some profound statements, as I would tell you some of the most profound statements that are found anywhere in the Bible. This chapter opens with Jesus Christ feeding the 5,000. From there, we find Jesus Christ walking on the water. And then shortly after that, the crowds pursue Jesus Christ to the other side of the lake. And it is there that he is going to make the first of seven great I am statements. Jesus is going to look at the crowd and he is going to say to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never, ever thirst. Jesus Christ wanted the the crowd to realize that the only way they could truly be satisfied in life was by coming to Him and knowing Him in a personal relationship. So if you have your Bibles open there, we're going to begin reading in chapter 6 or your device. We're going to read from chapter, I mean, chapter 6, verse 35, down through verse 37. I want you to listen to what it is that Jesus Christ is going to say in this passage. He's going to make three amazing statements about eternal life in this passage. As I read through it, I want you to see if you can identify the statements that Jesus Christ makes, and then we're going to go back and we're going to take a little deeper look at them. Listen to what he says here in verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given to me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. And I want us to just pause right here, because when I read these first several verses in this passage of Scripture, it almost seems as though Jesus Christ is being redundant, doesn't it? He's repeating the same phrase over and over again. I've often wondered why in the world would Jesus Christ repeat himself over and over again. And I think that I have figured out the reason why. I think I have figured out that the reason Jesus Christ is redundant in this passage of Scripture is because we're thick-headed. And we need to truly hear the words of Jesus Christ. Now listen to what else he's going to say here beginning in verse 41. So that the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread of life that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. That's the third time Jesus Christ has made that statement. 
Now, I think we all know what it is that Jesus Christ is referring to. When he says, on a number of occasions, I will raise them up in the last day, that is a reference to when Jesus Christ returns. If you read over in 1 Thessalonians, the fifth chapter, Paul describes for us the return of Jesus Christ. And we know what takes place. The trumpet will sound right. Jesus Christ will step out of heaven. And then this is what Paul wrote. All of those who have died in Christ will be raised first and caught up into the air. And then all of those who are left behind who know Jesus Christ will be changed in a twinkling of an eye and they will be caught up in the air as well. Now I want you to just stop and imagine that event. Now I want you to think about the term in the twinkling of an eye. Just how quick will that be? Man, in just a fraction of a second, the entire world will be changed when that trumpet sounds and Jesus Christ steps out. Now this is the question I have for you. Are you ready? Because you see, that could happen at any moment. It could happen before we leave this church today. I hope that you are prepared when Jesus Christ returns. Because Scripture clearly teaches us He is going to return to take home with Him those who know Him. Now go back to this text and listen to what else He says. Do not grumble among yourself, verse 44. Uh, verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Now listen here. This is what he's saying. Truly, truly. Do you know what he means here when he says that? Amen, amen. What he's saying is this. Wake up. That's what he's saying. Open your eyes and your ears and hear what it is I'm about to say to you because it's of great importance. He's catching the attention of his crowd because about what he's about to say is of great importance. Now listen to what he says here. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. On a number of different occasions in this passage of Scripture, Jesus Christ makes that statement over and over again. As a matter of fact, I would suggest to you this morning that Jesus Christ has made that statement in every chapter that we have read in the Gospel of John. At some point in time, in every single chapter, Jesus Christ has made this statement. Everyone who believes in me receives eternal life. This is what Jesus Christ wanted the crowd to understand on this day as he spoke to them. Eternal life is only found in Jesus Christ. I shared with you earlier, 
when you read the words of Jesus Christ, when you read the first six chapters of the Gospel of John, it seems as though Jesus Christ is redundant because over and over again, Jesus continues to announce to the crowd, eternal life is only found in Him. As a matter of fact, in this chapter, chapter 6 of the Gospel of John, the word life appears 12 times. Each time the word life appears, it always refers to spiritual life. Now, does anyone know the word for spiritual life? Everyone should know the word for spiritual life. We talked about that word a number of different times. As a matter of fact, my secondborn bears the name spiritual life. If you've ever been around her, you know she's full of life. I don't know if it's always spiritual life, but she has some life about her. It's the word zoe. Every time Jesus Christ speaks of life in this passage of Scripture, every single time, He never ever refers to physical life. He always refers to spiritual life. And the reason that is, is Jesus Christ wants us to understand what's most important in life. Physical life isn't near as important as spiritual life. What if a man gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? How good is that? But you know what? Don't we oftentimes spend the majority of our time focused on physical life rather than spiritual life? I want to illustrate it like this for you this morning. I want you to just imagine with me for a moment that I have an endless rope that is standing up here before you. And as you look at that endless rope on this end, the only end of it, it goes all the way. It never stops. It's this little bitty portion that's wrapped in red tape. Can you imagine that with me for a moment? Just think about that. That red tape, that small fraction on the end of the rope, represents our life, physical life here on earth. And we spend all of our time right here while we're on earth focused on physical life. We work real hard. We do everything we can so that when we get to the end of life, we can sit back and relax and enjoy the last few years that we have on earth without ever considering eternity. Jesus Christ chose to focus his attention on spiritual life rather than physical life. This morning I just want to make two quick statements about the spiritual life that Jesus Christ offers us. First, the spiritual life Jesus offers is eternal life. Did you hear that in this passage of Scripture? Did you hear how Jesus Christ closes in verse 47? Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. When I was a boy growing up, I used to hear those two words, eternal life, and the first thing that would come to my mind was, well, that means I'm going to spend an eternity with Jesus Christ. How many of you have ever heard those two words and that's what you thought? 
Oh, come on now. I don't, I, you know, I know there's more of you than just a couple of you here this morning who ever thought about that. And surely in those words, there's some truth to that. We are going to experience eternity with Jesus Christ. But can I tell you today, that word or those two words, eternal life, have much more to do with a quality of life than they do a quantity of life. Jesus said that He came that we might experience life to the fullest. Life abundantly, or not abundantly, but abundantly, right now. Eternal life opens the door for us to have a relationship with God. It is a quality of life, not necessarily a quantity of life. Now, one of the great byproducts of experiencing eternal life is we will spend an eternity with Jesus Christ. But Jesus Christ said in this passage of Scripture that He has come that we might have eternal life. Now, this is the question that I have for you this morning. If you're a believer, is that the kind of life that you're experiencing right now? Do you relate to your Creator in a personal manner? Do you talk to Him in prayer? Do you read His Word on a regular basis? Do you have times of personal and corporate worship in your life? If you answer yes to those questions, you are experiencing eternal life right now, right here. You're experiencing life abundantly. The second statement is this. The only way to receive eternal life is by receiving and believing. By receiving and believing. We've seen this in the book of John. As a matter of fact, John opens the first chapter of his book by saying, to all those who received Jesus Christ and believed on Him, He gave them the rights to become children of God. Now, I'm not going to go on in this passage of Scripture, but I would say this. Scripture is very clear to us. If we are going to receive eternal life into our hearts and our lives, we must believe and we must receive. To receive Jesus is to mean to make Him Lord of our life. To believe on Jesus is to, is to receive Him as our Savior, is to trust that Jesus Christ hung and died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. That is a true picture of salvation. The first statement Jesus makes about salvation is this. Eternal life is only found in Him. The second statement Jesus Christ makes in this passage of Scripture about salvation is a person can only come to Christ if drawn by the Father. I want you to go back and look at what He says here in verse 44 of this passage of Scripture. Now listen to the words of Jesus Christ. He says in verse 44, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. This is one of the most important verses found in the Bible concerning eternal life. Sometimes when people read this passage of Scripture, they'll say to me, Pastor, so what does that mean? Does that mean that God chose me or I chose God? 
God's sovereignty versus man's free will? This is the way I would answer both of those questions. Yes. God did choose you. But also, man's free will plays a role in salvation. I will tell you, this side of heaven, we are never going to fully understand God's sovereignty and man's free will. But we do clearly see this. We see both of them in Scripture. When you read Ephesians, uh, Ephesians chapter 1, Paul is writing about eternal life. He says, those who have eternal life were chosen in Christ before the foundations of the earth. Then you read over in Romans 10 verse 13, Paul's writing, and this is what he says, anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. As we look at God's Word, we consistently see both of these when it comes to salvation. Both of them play an essential role in salvation. I think the best way to illustrate this is if you can imagine with me for a moment that there is a door here on this stage. We'll let that door represent salvation. As you approach the door, it reads on that door, whosoever will may come. That is man's free will. Everyone is invited to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We walk through the door of salvation. The door closes behind us. We turn back around. We look at that door, and this is what it says on the other side of the door. Chosen in Christ before the foundations of the earth. God's sovereign will. Both of them play a very important role in salvation. Now, this is what I know, and this is what we need to understand this morning. God's Word clearly teaches us He desires no one to perish, but all to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And at some point, he's going to convict every person of their sin. And at that moment, a person will have to choose to either reject or respond to salvation. As a matter of fact, I would tell you this morning, that's exactly what God is doing through me. He is offering to some people in this building salvation. And in a few moments, you're going to have an opportunity to either reject it or respond to it during the invitation. God is sovereign in the sense that salvation is wholly an act of His grace. It is God who takes the initiative in salvation. Our free will is to reject or to respond the salvation that God offers unto each one of us. The clear teaching of God's Word is this. No one can come to Jesus Christ except they be drawn by the Father. And at some point in time, God is going to show every single person a need for a Savior. And at that moment in time, a person will either have to choose to reject or to respond to salvation. Number three, you can have the assurance of your salvation. That's the third statement that Jesus Christ is going to make in this passage of Scripture. I want you to look right here in verse 39. And this is the will of Him who sent me, 
that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Now, when I said we can have the assurance of our salvation, I wasn't referring to our own confidence to hang on to our salvation. That would be works-based. My confidence is not in myself. My confidence is in God. It is Jesus Christ who hangs on to me. Don't you see that here in this text? Jesus Christ very clearly said here, I will lose no one that the Father has given to me. So often this is what I see. A person responds to Jesus Christ in faith. They experience God's grace in their hearts and their lives. They realize that they are saved by grace through faith. And then once they are saved, all of a sudden they begin to work to keep their salvation. But that so contradicts the Word of God. Did you hear what Jesus Christ said in this passage of Scripture? It is very clear for all of us to read. It's not ambiguous. Jesus Christ says, Whoever the Father gives to me, those who have responded to eternal life, I will not lose one of them. He goes on to say in John the 10th chapter, those that the Father have given me, they can never ever be snatched out of my hand. Can I just tell you this morning, if you are genuinely saved, if you have received and believed Jesus Christ for salvation, it is impossible for you to lose your salvation today. You don't do the saving and you don't do the keeping. It is Jesus who does the saving. It is Jesus who does the keeping. That is the truth of God's Word. We need to root what we believe in the Word of God. Now let me give you three words that are involved in salvation that will help make this clear. The first word is this, fact, the fact of God's word. The second is the word faith, the faith to receive the gift. The third word is feeling. Yes, emotions are involved in salvation. When we are saved, we experience the joy and the peace of knowing Christ. Now listen to me carefully. This is the key. Feeling or emotions are the most shallow part of the human soul. But you know what so often happens? That is where people base the assurance of their salvation. I bet you, you like me, have heard people make this statement before. I just don't feel like I'm saved. I don't always feel like I'm saved. But my confidence, the assurance of my salvation, is not rooted and grounded in a feeling. It's rooted and grounded in the fact of God's Word. Let me illustrate it like this. What if a person one day came to me and said, Jeff, are you married? I would look at that person. I would say, yeah, I'm married to Robin Leanne Lowe. And then they looked at me and they said, well, Jeff, do you always feel like you love her? Well, 
I can just honestly say, I don't always wake up every morning with a warm, fuzzy feeling about my wife. And don't you look at me that way, neither do you. <laughs> and then that person looks at me and says, well, then I just don't think you're saved. I would say, whoa, now just a minute. Me being saved is not based on my feeling. Me being saved is based on a fact. If you load up in your vehicle and you drive over to Tahanjapahoa Parish and you go to Amit, Louisiana and you walk into the courthouse there and you ask the clerk the record there to see the record of marriages in that and you ask for the year 1999 and you find the month of May and you scroll down to the 22nd, do you know what you'll read there? Jeff Lowe, Thomas Lowe, married Robin Leanne Ferguson. It is a fact. It cannot be removed. It is written down in that book. Can I tell you the same is true about your salvation today? If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you have truly trusted Him, if you have received and believed upon His name, it is a fact that you belong to Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I will never lose any of them that God has given unto me. Now, I'll tell you something. You can hang your hat on that today. That God never ever goes back on His Word. If you're not experiencing the assurance of your salvation this morning, it's really because of one or two reasons. The first reason it's possible that you did believe and receive on Jesus Christ and He has given unto you eternal life. But what has happened is you have lost fellowship with Him. You've allowed sin to creep into your life and build a wall between you and God. And what has happened, you have lost the joy of your salvation. You see, that's what happened to David. Do you remember what he said in Psalm 51? Restore unto me, Lord, the joy of my salvation. He doesn't say, save me again, God. That's not what he says. He says, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. If you're here and you're not experiencing life abundantly, can I say to you this morning what you really need to do as a believer is to repent, to confess that sin before God and ask Him to restore you back into right relationship with Him. God wants to do that. He's willing to do it, to return to you the joy of your salvation. Now there's a possible second reason you're not experiencing the assurance of your salvation. And it could be this reason. You never knew Jesus to begin with. You don't know Him. You can't have assurance of something you don't have. Have you believed and received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Is He Lord of your life? And are you trusting in Him and Him alone for salvation? Do you have the assurance of your salvation.
Father God, we thank you for the truth of your word and the way it speaks into our hearts and our lives today. Father, I pray that we'll be a people who will base our salvation in the truth of your word and not in our feelings, but base it on fact. And Lord Jesus, you clearly claimed all of those that have been given unto you that you would keep them. Father, as we enter into this time of invitation, I pray that we would respond to you in whatever manner we need to respond. There's people here this morning who need to respond in salvation. I pray they would make that decision today. There are Christians here who have lost the assurance of their salvation because they're not walking in fellowship with you. I pray today would be the day they would make the decision to have that relationship restored with you. We give you this time and pray that you would work in our hearts and our lives in your perfect way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.